From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker and editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter. And joining me again today is Kelly Madrick, who covers the appropriations process for CQ. Thanks for being here, Kelly. No problem, David. So we wanted to talk about a few key points on President Trump's new budget request for the coming fiscal year today, beginning with health care, because the president managed to alarm Democrats again by calling for deep cuts to Medicare and Medicaid, at least compared to planned spending levels. The precise size of the cuts has been in some dispute this past week, and they'll be made more clear when additional budget documents are released as of uh, Monday. But the total savings would amount to somewhere between a trillion and two trillion dollars over the next 10, 10 years in ballpark terms. The White House says these are savings that won't harm patients, while Democrats say the cuts are harmful. So, Kelly, what's at stake here and how big of a fight are we are we looking at? Well, I think this proposal isn't exactly surprising, given that the president is trying to pare down the size of the federal debt. And one of the biggest contributors to the national debt and deficit spending are these entitlement programs. Right. right. So it's not surprising that they would do this. They say that these Medicare um, cuts could save $500 billion mostly by cutting back on payments to doctors and hospitals. Um, and then they, they, they have this perpetual proposal to block grant Medicaid, which sends Democrats screaming um, because it would cap the total amount of reimbursement for these like needy health insurance patients to a set level. And so while the Medicaid program is currently an uncapped entitlement, um, such a plan would basically like downsize the ability of the federal su- federal system to reimburse these. Yeah, so that is providers. an important point because whether you think it's good or not, it would be a huge change in a major entitlement program, which is Medicaid, because right now it's this open-ended entitlement. Whatever your costs are, the government's obligated to reimburse it, essentially. Yeah. Whereas this this plan would call for sending grants to the states who would have supposedly more freedom to manage their own program, but with a fixed amount of money that isn't going to increase. And not an exactly perfect example that's comparable, but if you look at block granting Medicaid, that's already done in Puerto Rico, and that is a perpetual problem where the block grant is not large enough to meet the needs of the community, and they have to top up the program with extra funds. Now, this would be on a national level, so the scale would be way bigger. Right. But it just is exemplary of the the idea that such a policy change would be really difficult to implement, and it's possible it could create these like sudden needs from certain states. Maybe if 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 you know they had something happen, or regardless, it's just a policy change that's so broad. It's been floated a million times by various groups. Now here, President Donald Trump is doing it again in his fiscal 20 budget with his own flavor of block granting Medicaid and cutting down on Medicare spending. But right, because it, yeah. would, it, it could provide huge savings for him as he's trying to control the deficit. Absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of like when the president's budget goes out, there's all these different lever- levers that they can kind of change to make an overall statement on how they want to change the fiscal tra- trajectory of the nation. But 
you know, the, this is um, a proposal that is always kind of panned as dead on arrival by both parties, um, as a, it's kind of seen more as like a visioning document than anything that's actually going to be implemented. Because Democrats say these are real cuts that are actually going to cut back on services that can be provided, right? Yeah, and if you look at, um, you know, on the medical side and kind of the health side, the way that um, those groups kind of spin this information, they say, you know, reducing payments to doctors and hospitals and care providers would ultimately be a reduced uh, reimbursement that might get passed on to patients. That's always kind of like the thing that they're either dealing with, whether it's defending that that wouldn't happen or saying that it would, depending right. on what the political argument is. So, again, divided government, you know, unpopular budget to begin with, but a huge savings potentially by winding down the size of these entitlements. And the chances of these of this plan going through or what? Um, not very good because it would require action from authorizing committees um, in a divided government where the House is controlled by Democrats. They're supposed to originate uh, bills that deal with money and, and changing the federal budget. And you know, the Senate is controlled by Republicans, so it would require a monumental compromise. And Democrats have already said, no way, we're not doing this. So, so th th this part is pretty much dead already. Yeah. Uh, so don't look for massive cuts to Medicare and Medicaid, really, in all probability. And another thing that seems to be going nowhere fast is the president's overall effort to curtail discretionary spending. He's proposing to stick to a strict spending cap on non-defense programs while he's trying to boost defense programs and sort of evade the defense spending cap by pumping up a war account. Because mm -hmm. if you pump money into the war account, that doesn't, there's no spending limits on that. Except the money's not really for war. They're, they're openly acknowledging they want to use it for regular Pentagon programs. They just don't want to risk officially breaking the defense cap. I think the complexity of the numbers and the strange crunching that went on to create this discretionary budget is kind of a reflection of um, just like how highly politicized this debate is as it relates to discretionary spending right now. Um, and it's also exemplary of, you know, Trump's kind of view that domestic program spending doesn't need to increase. You heard remarks right. from him back when the two-year budget deal, which expired um, this past fiscal year, this fiscal 2019, which was technically still in, um, you know, we heard Trump saying, well, we only had to increase non-defense spending because the Democrats wouldn't give us the defense money we needed right. otherwise. And that's the real friction point of this whole budget, really. Yep. Um, because, because Trump wants to pump up the military and cut non-defense, and Democrats say, no, you want equal treatment for defense and non-defense. That's where the rubber meets the road. Trump's plan, we should point out, would require about $54 billion in cuts to these non-defense programs. Which right? would that's, be huge. I that's mean... big. That's everything from the EPA to the State Department to everything the government does. It's not an entitlement. $54 billion is a lot of money. And at the same time, he wants to increase defense spending compared to this year by about $34 billion. Now, there's the disparity that Democrats hate, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just something that the Democratic House is not going to, to accept. You know, um, I and my colleague Paul Krasak this past week looked at the um, the kind of the, the talks behind the scenes about what appropriators going to do to mark up bills because right. they don't have these levels. And 
obviously the House Democrats who are supposed to originate these appropriations bills, these spending bills, the 12 bills funding the government, are not going to follow Trump's budget proposal. So what are they actually going to do? You know, we're hearing that it's still not totally agreed upon. But one of the things they're talking about is making sure that defense increases are met by equal increases on the non-defense side in terms of how much they're going up from the current level. Which is what Democrats always push for, but it seems like so-called even parody. Republicans know that they're going to have to give somewhat on that. On that. Exactly. because So he, the point is here the Trump's budget is only a week old and you've got congressional leaders from both parties already talking about busting these caps to, to provide for some kind of bipartisan deal, right? Yeah, and I thought it was interesting... Congressman Tom Cole, Republican of Oklahoma, senior appropriator, said um, to me in, you know, in a conversation with a bunch of reporters just as he got off from votes on Thursday that, um, you know, it, it could be that the Senate decides to mark up to the fiscal 2019 levels absent any any deal. And then the House... Meaning just stick with this year's spending caps without even trying to create new spending caps. Because one of the difficulties is that these appropriations staffers have to go into every single account, right? And they have to compare the president's request to what they think the level should be. And then they ultimately negotiate with the other chamber on agreed upon level. So they have to have somewhere to start from. Right. Um, and so, you know, when Senator uh, Richard Shelby, the chairman of the Appropriations Committee, Republican of Alabama, um, was asked about the suggestion um, from Mr. Cole that they might do fiscal 19 levels, he said, well, you know, that might be all we can do, because if there's no agreement before then, appropriators are looking at a real roadblock as to how they're going to advance legislation if they don't kind of just pick a number to go off of. Because until you get these overall spending limits, you really can't be advancing spending bills. And the the whole process stalls. And then we head toward a government shutdown again. Yep. (laughs) So that's why they're eager to get spending limits established so that then the appropriations committees can start drafting the actual bills to fund the government. Exactly. And I think those talks are certainly underway. But I think that it's difficult to get those to the point where they're in the form of legislation being sent to the president right now because there's not a lot of impetus to move on the budget yet. But this is the start of appropriations season. This is the spring of appropriations but when all the bills start coming out. That's a good so. point because usually it takes a crisis for them to agree on new spending limits, right? Mm-hmm. Those are not easily done. No. no. And so usually it comes only when they're about to run out of money and they're heading toward a shutdown or, you know, so it could be this fall even before we actually get a, a bipartisan yeah. deal. There was some lip service to um, attaching a budget deal to a disaster aid package you know, one of the things that might actually move sometimes related to appropriations. We're looking at maybe more than $14 billion um, for various uh, 2018 storms. But now a disaster aid package we might see next week, right? That's what um, David Perdue, Republican of Georgia, said, you know, as as the Senate flew out for a week-long recess. They're going to have one week of recess, and then the Tuesday they return. Um, Senator David Perdue said that he's gotten assurances that's when they want to put a disaster. Yeah, uh, we should remind people the, this is for the long-term aid for you know long-term rebuilding of communities that have been ravaged by hurricanes and wildfires over the past two years, and then we had tornado damage just recently in Alabama Typhoons. and Georgia and whatever else. And there's a, so Volcanoes. there are these communities that are waiting for some long-term 
federal assistance um, that that it, that they've been trying to get done for a couple of months now, right? Yeah, and there's also some really interesting kind of agricultural situations that are going on too, where. Um, farmers who have suffered agricultural losses, not just because of storms, but also related to tariffs, are trying to kind of galvanize their ne- galvanize uh, their their advocacy groups to to, mm-hmm. to get funding in that disaster package as well. Whether it's recovery from tariffs or recovery from a bad farm season, or and what. so the problem is the list of requests for aid keeps growing the yeah. longer this ho- hangs out there, mm-hmm. and it's getting harder and harder to agree. It sounds like on the size of what the package should be, right? Yeah, so then you think about slapping a budget deal on there, and it seems like that might be way too complicated at this point. Yeah, and I can't believe there'd be a spending deal in place by if they're trying to take it up next week on disaster. No way, yeah. So, you know, but at least that's one advancement in the appropriation cycle right now. Otherwise, we're seeing kind of a lot of talk, but not a lot of action, because there's not a lot of concrete numbers out there for people to go off of yet. Yeah, so a lot of negotiating still to come. Beginning, though, with a disaster aid package uh, when Congress reconvenes next week. Yep. Uh, there's a lot, and there's a lot that Congress is going to be rewriting, obviously, in Trump's budget. <laughs> we, we can see. Uh, and CQ will be covering all of that for you, too. My thanks again to Kelly Madrick, our dogged appropriations reporter, for joining me. Thanks, Kelly. Happy to be here, David. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate us on iTunes or find us on Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for more budget news, subscribe to CQ.com or visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter. The handle is at CQNow or at RollCall. See you next week. (laughs) 